0: Hey everybody and welcome to Headlights, the Daimler podcast that's all about who we are and what we do at Daimler, the jobs we have, but especially the interesting people who work here.
1: I'm responsible for engineering at Thomas Built Buses, which is the number one school bus provider in the US and Canada. And that just means that I'm responsible for both R&D as well as overall product development, testing and analysis.
0: This is Leslie Kilgore. She's the Vice President of Engineering at Thomas Built Buses in High Point, North Carolina. And we will talk with her about her job leadership the development of her career and of course about some pretty personal stuff as well but first of all we'll start the interview again with three times 30 a little game we play with all our interview partners i asked leslie three questions and she has the maximum time of 30 seconds to answer each uh, what's so special about your job what what drives you
1: uh, what drives me is the ability to impact the community and mm. impact the education system by designing new vehicles that can take kids safely to school. And knowing that every day I get to do that with my team and introduce new technology that will make a difference in communities and environments across the U.S.
0: Very cool. Um, Is there anything you desire? What's your biggest dream?
1: My biggest dream is to see a world where no kid is ever a fatality just trying to get to school safety in the school bus industry is a huge issue right now with people passing stop signs Mm -hmm. with kids entering and exiting the school bus and technology can prevent that and so i really want to see a, a year of several years where no kid ever gets in any type of incident or accident on a school bus. Mm-hmm.
0: And last but not least, um, can you still remember what you wanted to become when you were six?
1: Ooh, six? <laughs> well, that was such a short time ago. Um, actually, I, I talked to my mom about that, and I actually said a nurse at one point. How I went from there to here, who knows? But there was, at one point in time, it was wanting to be a nurse.
0: Well, this was a great teaser. We should jump right into our conversation. So we are here at the headquarters yes. in High Point, North Carolina. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit more about Thomas Build Bus? Sure.
1: So Thomas Build Bus is a school bus provider, and we are number one in the market. And we are responsible for three different school buses. So we have our safety liner C2, we have our EFF and our HDX, which is our Type D, and Mm -hmm. then we have our Minotaur products. So we have three product lines, and we are responsible for overall technology, innovation, R&D, et cetera. Um, Thomas Built Buses has been around just over 100 years, so we are proud to be a part of the Daimler family, but have a long heritage that we are proud to be a part
0: of. And we're definitely gonna talk about this in more detail throughout our podcast.
1: Absolutely.
0: High Point is very well known for the furniture and textile industry, so all the craftsmanship and manufacturing environment is here. Mm-hmm. Seems like a perfect spot to produce, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, Thomasville Buses started off producing wooden trolley cars, okay. and so connected to the furniture market, connected to that industry, and it was just an area where you found a lot of people who were able to do that work, so very, uh, very big job market for people. And as we've migrated from the streetcars into school buses, just continue with that element of transportation.
0: So well, talking about Thomas Built Bus, this is the heart of the manufacturing, can you tell us a little bit more about the tradition and the heritage of this company?
1: Absolutely. So Thomas actually is the family-owned name that used to have this company as when they started off. And they started off in transportation, started off with the trolley cars and migrated yeah. over time into school buses. And so we were acquired in 1998 by Freightliner and have continued to be the leader in the school bus industry for what we do and it's just been a, a phenomenal history for us because in 2016 we celebrated our 100th anniversary and that's not many amazing. industries make it to 100 years yeah. not many industries continue to do the same thing for 100 years and so I think it's just a really good heritage to be a part of and a lot of the people here have been here since it was owned by the Thomas family
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing I, I, I always wondered how they came up with this name what's mm-hmm. Thomas doing oh he's building mm-hmm. buses
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and as a matter of fact um, a lot of the Thomas family actually used to work here
0: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But they're not around anymore?
1: No, I want to say the last living Thomas member who was actually working here passed about a year ago, okay. but he was there at the two, at the 100th anniversary.
0: That's amazing. I yeah. always love it, you know. I mean, there's something that you really can't buy, and that's tradition. Mm-hmm. And to see how this kind of heritage uh, goes on uh, with a company like this, absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, we touched it already briefly during your introduction, but I would love to get to know more about your specific job. Sure. well, what does the vice president of engineering at Thomas Buses do?
1: Well, actually that's just a whole bunch of words for just chief engineer. So um, because we're a manufacturing environment, we'd have some pretty easy standards because we really want to be uh, living our lives by standardized work. And so we're primarily manufacturing. And so we are unique in the Daimler family because we have engineering on site. So we're responsible for all the product development. That means the design, that means testing, that means analysis, that means the overall introduction both in R&D for new innovation as well as helping out the production floor as they go about their day-to-day business. So for me, it's um, providing guidance, it's providing insight and strategy, and then helping the team by just basically removing roadblocks for them getting the everyday work done.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, this is more of a big picture right now, yeah. but how does your typical day look like?
1: Typical day is checking, so number one, safety is a very big priority for us. So yeah. making sure, I do a, a check in the market to make sure that we've had no accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not necessarily for us, but we check to see, hey, has anything happened in the market? So I do a market check, I do a market analysis, um, Checking in with my team, so we huddle every morning to kind of yeah. set priorities. We really use what's happened on the plant floor as a guide for us to make sure that everything possible is out of their way to make sure we can deliver on time for our customers. So giving um, insight for that. For me, um, checking in on the business, so we host a business meeting every morning to mm-hmm. see how are we doing for sales, how are we doing for market share, how are we doing for quality, how are we doing for performance in the plant, and then making the adjustments with my team. So it's really that day-to-day, blocking and tackling type work, in addition to some strategy work, because we're entering in some new areas from a technology perspective, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but um, making sure that the day-to-day stuff is done, but then also planning for how do we get better? What do we do differently? And thinking those things through.
0: So are these mainly also your biggest challenges? I mean, it's a very, very dynamic environment in general, and your job can basically change from day to day. You're
1: absolutely right. It can change from day to day. And so that does present a little bit of a challenge because you're always balancing how much of the firefighting you're going to do versus how much of the future planning, whether it's technology, because we're working on new safety innovations, whether it's the new emerging market of electric vehicles, which we're heavily into, or whether it's just making sure that the people have what they need, because people make everything happen around here.
0: Well, Leslie, what is really unexpected for a manager is that you're not afraid at all of making mistakes and Mm -hmm. you have no big interest in hierarchies. Mm -hmm. Please tell us a little bit more of the way you are leading.
1: Yeah, so I think leadership has always been about vision and influence, and I think for me, Kind of coming from a different background, it's important to engage leaders and to allow that freedom of expression. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't capitalize as a leader on the experiences of your team, and those experiences can come from so many different places. They can come from past jobs. They can come from where they've lived, where they went to school. And all of that has to come into making a better product. And so for me, it's about empowerment. It's about letting them take risk and understanding, educated risk, right? Not foolishness, but educated risk to say, hey, there's another way of going about this. And my experience or my understanding of the issue or the problem, and, and to recognize that we're all problem solvers. And so, how we solve problems may be different, but if we can get to the final result, that's great. And it doesn't have to be all the leaders' way, and I think that's one of the ways that I intend to lead. That's the way I lead with my team and, and hope that they would do the same with their teams.
0: And I just love the idea of failing fast, you know, taking yep. all the experience that you made. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a startup culture that like you're going to embrace with this.
1: Absolutely, and, and it's not traditional. I mean, I think you have to give people that space to do it first and let them know, hey, if you fail, there'll be a safety net underneath you, but yeah. try it. And you want to give people the freedom to try because Engineers are inherently safe. They're inherently conservative. They there is you know, I tell my team measure measure twice but cut once, but that but that also means takes a level of risk associated with with trying to get to the final yeah. result in a way that's reasonable but also takes into account their experience and their uh, their willingness to to find a good solution.
0: I mean this is the way that you describe leadership, but if mm-hmm. I would ask someone from your team mm-hmm to describe your way of leading, mm-hmm. what do you think they would come up with?
1: Um, I think they would say most of that. I think they would also say that she challenges. Yeah. Um, I will ask real good questions to say, well, why? I'm a why person. And because I want them to understand why they did what they did. You don't want to answer to be, well, that's the way we've always done it. Because new chimes, need new solutions, they need mm. new approaches. And I don't want anyone to be afraid of doing that, but I also want to make sure that they've thought through the things that they need to think through, as opposed to just wow, wow, west coming from you know, any angles, like, well, that was the best thing at the time. Did you consider the impacts? And so they'll probably tell you that I challenged them a lot, um, challenged the status quo, but that I also try and respect their perspective.
0: I mean, you already mentioned this, the times they are changing and Mm -hmm. like in this old Bob Dylan song. But uh, what do you think how the definition of leadership changed over time? Like when you look back like 10, 20 years Mm -hmm. ago. And where are we at right now? What's the status quo of a good leader right now?
1: You know, I think leadership for me has changed significantly. Uh, I think the first one is that it's not just the leader's way and you just have soldiers doing what you told them to do. I think it's more... Um, connected and Mm -hmm. it's also more of a holistic and healthy conflict, right? Before, you wouldn't challenge a leader. You would just take it and you'd just be a good soldier and and march to the drum beat that they're giving you. But now, it's more healthy conflict. I think it's more servant-based. You're trying to enable your teams, enable your staff to do what they do, to do what they're paid to do, Mm -hmm. to do what they're talented to do, and to do it in a way that maximizes all that they have to give, because if you can't have people, team members of any level coming to work knowing that they can express their full self, their full talent, then yeah. you're you're minimizing the ability of the organization to grow. So I think that's, for me, one of the biggest ways that leadership has changed is blossoming out your entire team all the way down to your lowest level and making sure that there's a way for them to connect back up, that there is no level difference that says, oh, I'm a level X, you're a level Y. So I can't talk to you. I can't bring you my ideas. I can't disagree with you. No, all of it's legitimate. And then when we come to a solution, we march in that direction. And I think that's very different than how maybe I came up and maybe some of the people on my team may have come up in the past. But by not doing that, you don't end up with the best solution all the time.
0: Do you think it's also a matter of the technology that we're using these days? I mean, the way we're connected with our teams and mm-hmm. with our divisions completely changed compared to the last couple of decades.
1: Absolutely, and I think that helps. Mm-hmm. I think that allows us to communicate faster. Yeah. I think it allows Absolutely. us to um, resolve conflict faster, to, yeah. to maybe even collaborate in better ways and different ways. And it also drives our idea generation differently you know you're not brainstorming in a room in a chalkboard anymore you have unlimited tools that you can go out and come up with ideas that don't take us to be face to face yeah it doesn't take us to be in the same place and it doesn't it's not bounded by time anymore so i think those are definitely tools that are helping with that
0: well it's quite normal to give feedback as a manager to your employees Mm -hmm. but you also encourage disagreement as an authority you want to be challenged Why's that?
1: Because I'm not always right. And I think the other piece is that this isn't an industry that anybody can learn out of school. School buses are not taught anywhere. And so this is a place where if you've grown up here, you got a different perspective. And you know different things. And so you try to combine, you know, what expertise or what information you have with those that have kind of been around for a while. So I think for people to know that they have the freedom to say, well, no, that's that's not the best way of going about that. And to know that they can do that openly and freely helps everybody. And again, the, the goal is getting to the best solution, making sure that we're number one and we remain number one and that's that's the end goal it's not about egos it's not about levels it's not about titles it's about how do we get to the best solution and if that's person x and they're saying hey here's the way we should go about that then let's listen and then let's make sure that we're making sure that we go about it the right way
0: i mean talking about a good team a leader Mm -hmm. is nothing without uh, the fundament of a good team and uh, when you look at new talents that are out there Mm Uh, I think it's very, very important to let them know what you are actually doing. So how are you going to tell them what are the best things about Thom- Thomas Build Buses? Why should they join you here in High yeah. Point?
1: So I would tell you that Thomas Build Buses is unique in so many ways. The first one is there are only three companies in the world that make school buses yeah. so you get to be in the elite class of transportation Yo, that's thing number one that's right <laughs> you're you're always there and and number two is that if you have an interest in doing a huge social good, school buses is the place to be. We provide transportation for 25 million kids a day that would otherwise have no way of getting to school. And we believe that education is the gateway to prosperity. And so if you think about being able to enable 40, 50, 60, 70 kids at a time to get to school where their parents may have jobs and they can't take them there, where they may live too far to walk to school, that you enable that for them and, and are part of that educational process. How rewarding is that? And then on yeah. the, and the other piece of it is that in, at the end of the day, school buses are the most safe way of transportation for schools. Mm-hmm. So um, Nitsa has some reports out there that, that connects the difference between your parents driving, you walking, you riding the bus, or you riding a school bus. And school bus is many, many times more safe in just getting kids to and from school. And so when you think about that, you think about the ability to do something good for the community, you think about influencing a child's ability to get educated all at once and you get to do that, That's amazing, and nobody else can offer that.
0: Well, Leslie, let's talk a little bit more about you. Um, Tell us about your background, where you're from, Mm -hmm. and of course, how did your career develop?
1: Excellent. So I'm actually from Michigan. Okay. And growing up in Michigan, I think it's in the water that you want to work for an automotive company. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did. Um, I went to undergraduate at Michigan Tech, which is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and um, got a degree in mechanical engineering. And left there and started working for General Motors. So I actually started as a high school student. So I worked in a powertrain plant there and then went and then did my internships there as well as I went through undergrad and then came back and started working full time. And I became a GM fellow. So I had a scholarship to go to graduate school. So did my graduate work down at Purdue in West Lafayette and so came back and I rotated around the company. And so there was a lot of exposure to a lot of different areas of engineering while I was at General Motors. So I spent just over 20 years there before deciding to go off and venture somewhere else. And so I I transitioned out and into the aerospace industry. And so I worked in aerospace for a while. I was there about two years. And in doing so, I also went after a third degree. I've always had a passion for the community. And so I've participated in nonprofits and on a couple of boards that really affected kids. Uh, that's always been an interest of mine. And so, finished that degree actually when I came on board here. But I think the significant thing is that through my time at GM, traveled around, worked in a lot of different areas that influenced my perspective about engineering. So, Mm -hmm. being able to do that gave me a roundabout uh, experience base, both in testing and analysis and working in different locations and so, I've always had an interest in transportation, so I went from kind of cars and trucks to (laughs) satellites at one point, um, and then found my way here at Daimler.
0: This is also one of the reasons why you wanted to join Thomas Build Buses. You already mentioned the kids, and uh, during our segment about leadership, Mm -hmm. you've also mentioned, you know, what's so interesting about this job over here, that you can actually support kids going to school. You're actually supporting the educational market.
1: Absolutely, and I think the, the biggest draw for Thomas Bell Buses for me was that at some point you just decide that you wanna do something bigger than yourself. Mm. You know, you can work on sports cars and you can work on trucks and that's great, but at some point you just really wanna do something that's more meaningful, and for me, I was at that point. And so I, I wanted to get back to something more tangible too because satellites are great, but you once you finish them, you never see them again. (laughs) And I wanted to see something that was a little more tangible. And so this became a a perfect mix because it was responsibilities for areas that I had worked in before. So test and development and analysis were all areas that I had worked in. And then being able to do something big for the community, which was really a a personal passion. And it's very rare that you can mix your technical background and your technical expertise with something that's very, very personal to you, which for me is kids in the community. And so this was almost like, wow, is that really true? Is that a job that does both of those things for me? And it is. And so I think that's the biggest draw and that was the biggest draw for me coming to Thomas. And it's been exactly as I thought it would be.
0: Well, we all know that starting a new job can be quite hard, right? Mm-hmm. Especially after you just really got used to your previous one, <laughs> right. and you kind of build this cozy little bubble around you. Mm-hmm. When we look at your CV and the way you mentioned already your career steps, mm-hmm. uh, it seems to me like you're always looking for new challenges before you're becoming too comfortable. Yes. Um, so you're not comfortable at Thomas Reuters <laughs> right now, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> so it's it's still very. For challenging for you. it
1: is and actually the industry is changing and school yeah. buses one of the things that I learned very quickly about school buses is that it's the slowest moving transportation market that you could ever think of and what I mean by that is you know in the in a passenger car market you're always on cutting edge in technology in features in every aspect of the vehicle, whereas in school buses, most people get on school bus and say, oh, it hasn't changed very much since I rode the school bus. And and you think, yeah, it hasn't, because it hasn't been a need to. But we are entering a new age for school buses. and, And more importantly, that's based off of technology and really adapting a lot of the technology out of passenger cars. And then the other area is on electric school buses, so that's been a huge change for us. Within the last 12 to 18 months, um, you've seen the market in school buses become the Uh, the bell of the ball, shall we say, when we, it's when regards to electric vehicles, because we have the perfect duty cycle. You have short routes in the morning, you have this huge break in the middle of the day, and then you have these short routes in the evening. Where you can recharge it again. Where you can recharge, exactly. And so then you have this period over summer where you just have these potential assets sitting and available. And so it has become a huge opportunity when you start to look at, Ramping up into electric vehicles, right. and so yes, there are new challenges that are come on board um, into the school market as a whole, but more importantly in the area of electric vehicles, and so it's an area that we have an entry in. And that we are destined to be the lead-in from a Daimler perspective. And
0: we were actually the first ones to announce the yes. platform. That was the Julie, I think, in yes. 2017. 2017.
1: Right? You're exactly right. So we launched at the National Association of People Transportation, which is the auto show of school buses, mm-hmm. and that's where we launched our Julie product. And and that has really taken on the market. Uh, people enjoy that name, they've written on the bus, they see the performance, it's phenomenal in its overall execution and you know, we continue to work on it and we continue and we're getting ready for a future release from a commercial perspective and so that keeps us busy, <laughs> yeah. along with the, the normal school bus activities.
0: Yeah. Well, Leslie, before we started recording this podcast, we had a little sure. chat, and you also told me that you spent several years in Australia. Um, living in Down Under, did this <laughs> change you somehow? And if yes, how?
1: You know, I think any time you can live outside of your normal comfort zone, where you know the customs, you know the rules, you know the norms of society, it opens you up to being more open to differences, Mm -hmm. it opens you up to kind of seeing the world differently, and it opens you up to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, everything you know and the world in which you learned it is not all there is. And so for me, it became a way to embrace new ideas mm. and to, again, see the world in a different perspective. The division that I was working for there did business totally different than what I was used to, but they were successful at it. So it was a chance to, to learn some new stuff, to, to develop some new skills, quite honestly, yeah. and to learn how to interface with people differently in a way that benefited the whole business. And so I think I bring that with me when you go and interface with new people Mm -hmm. I think you're you're broader, you're open to broader ideas as it relates to how you do work, how Mm -hmm. you interface with people, how you see business as a whole. And other the other piece of it is that I think you see the world differently, because one thing that I learned is that the news was very different you know how how the perspective that you had about what you saw and the events that were occurring and so you just give that little bit of extra doubt that says hmm is there something else here that we can think about this scenario and mm-hmm. i think it shows up in my leadership i think it shows up in um brainstorming i think it shows up in just how i interact with my peers so, yeah, it was I really liked beneficial.
0: this the segment about the perspective. There was just this um, German astronaut that just came back from the International Space Station, mm-hmm. uh, Alexander Gers, who said, you know, my very personal, own perspective can never be whole or complete. Exactly. And as soon as you add just more different opinions yep. and perspectives towards it, yep, that's at least exactly you're getting true. a little bit closer, even yes. though they can never, ever fully complete it. Mm-hmm. Um, In terms of talents, right, Mm -hmm. um, what are you actually looking for here at Thomas Build Busses? Where's the biggest demand and could you even maybe describe the perfect candidate? Sure. I think
1: talent is changing. As I mentioned before, this isn't an industry that you can go to school for. There's no way to come in from undergraduate or even graduate school and say, hey, I can do that. It's something that you have to be adjacent to. You have to adapt what you know and you have to adapt what experiences you have and apply them here. And I think that's the biggest thing that we look for with talent is, what have you done that can be applied here? Because you'll never find a candidate that says, oh, I used to work at school buses at Company X and mm. now I want to work at Thomas. That's so rare. So it's, it's critical for us to understand, have you worked in product development before? Do you know what it means to take a product from idea to release and the processes that go along with that? So for us, looking at talent is, looking at the, the character of the person, are they curious? Mm-hmm. Are they a problem solver? Are they interested in going a little deeper than the surface? We look for those features because those are the ones that we have found make successful candidates for us. So if I were to uh, give a persona yeah. of my ideal candidate, I would say one, they, they have to have a sense of curiosity. How does that work and why does it work that way? They need to, the education needs to be there. You know, we, we expect that they have a, a degree in an area that is, that is necessary for us, usually mechanical or electrical. Mm-hmm. But even now, we're looking at maybe some adjacent areas because the systems, to your point, the technology yeah. that we're looking at is, not, is necessary for us to look at broader areas of, than the traditional classical engineering areas. But then the other piece is, are you a problem solver? And do you do it on your own time? Because what I've found is when you find people who are builders or problem solvers on their own time, they bring that to work. Mm-hmm. They bring that curiosity to work. They bring that inquisitiveness to work. They bring that problem solving to work. And it's not that you're um, asking them to, but it's who they are. And yeah. that's what shows up. And so I think those are some of the key characteristics that we're looking for. And then how do you keep up with the industry? Because the other piece is that things are changing so quickly and so rapidly, you can't just go to school and say, yep, got a degree and I'm going to, that's all I ever have to do. No. Are you, are you still looking at developing yourself and keeping up with the changes in your industry? Um, Whether that's electrical, whether that's mechanical, whether that's software, whatever, you, whether you're a designer right? New tools and tips and techniques that are new in your area. Are you really interested in continuing your own? Because you need to be a lifelong learner. It's no more get your degree and you're done. You really have to be interested in continuing to learn and continuing to, one, invest in yourself, but then allow us to invest in you as well.
0: It's this amazing transition that we can see in these days from this I know it all, society yep. into mm-hmm. the I-learn-it-all society I learned it because exactly. I mean, things are happening exponentially and developing exponentially, You're exactly and this is right. really, really interesting. Well, let's see. Imagine being you as a student. <laughs> That's going to be a tough one now. <laughs> what advice would you give to yourself for a future career?
1: I think the biggest one would be never be afraid to try. And a lot of times kids, students want to be great out the gate Mm -hmm. and not always willing to embrace the environment, embrace the change, embrace something that doesn't look like it fits. And I say that because a lot of times they don't really, really know all of what they want to do. And so is, or they think they know, and it's like, no, I want to do this. And then you get in and and so you're not open to the possibility of something else. But I believe that it all can work for your good when you pull it all together. So yes, maybe you're an electrical engineer and you just want to write code. Yeah. Okay, great. But if writing code is, connected to software development which is connected to telemetry systems which is connected to you know the communication system on a product be open to all of it yeah right the entire ecosystem that's one part i think the second part is keep on investing in your own learning
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think the ability to know what you know and to be good at what you know is never invaluable. And there's always something else to learn, so be open to that wherever it may come from. Sometimes it may come from somebody who you don't think should know, yeah. um, whether that be in age, whether that be in their experience, but being open to all sources of learning no matter where they come from. I think those are two of the big ones. Very
0: cool. Well, Leslie, this was super interesting. Thank you so much for inviting us over to Thomas Build Busses here in High Point. And I hope I'm going to talk to you again soon.
1: Excellent. I appreciate you having me. And thank you so much. Look forward to a future conversation.
0: Thank you. So this was Headlights, our Daimler podcast. And if you like what you heard, subscribe and leave us a like or a comment. This was, by the way, the very last episode of this season and if you want to get to know more about the interesting jobs we offer at Daimler, please go to daimler.com slash career.